Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Spin Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Kiera McKinney, and we have a lot to cover today. I planned on making this a totally VMAs focused episode because this episode comes out on the day of the 2023 VMAs. However, there's been so much happening in our zeitgeist lately that there's just some other things that I need to cover first. So next week, I'll be recapping the VMAs instead of kind of recapping it today. So buckle up because we have a lot to cover. First and foremost, we have to talk about the divorce of Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas, which TMZ first reported about on September 3rd, letting us know that Joe had reportedly hired a divorce lawyer. Then two days later, the news broke that he had in fact filed and cited that the marriage was irretrievably broken and petitioned for joint custody of the girls. In the court documents, it does mention that Joe has been taking care of the two daughters while he's in the States and Sophie is in the UK. And of course, gossip mags, including TMZ and Page Six, you know, the scum publications of the world, then took that and kind of ran with this narrative of Sophie's out partying and Sophie doesn't take care of her kids and Joe does and blah, blah, blah. But realistically, what the court documents stated was that the kids had just been residing in Miami with Joe and around on tour. But that's not weird because guess what? The other kids are on tour with the other brothers as well. Um, this was just something kind of picked out of a court document and um, gossip magazines ran with it in order to seem like they had more information than they really did, which happens more than you would like to think. After days of speculation and these silly headlines by TMZ and Page Six, Joe and Sophie finally took it upon themselves to speak out via a joint Instagram statement saying that after... Four years of a wonderful marriage. They have mutually decided to amicably split. There's a lot of key words in this statement. Um, namely, that they have mutually decided to amicably, amicably end their marriage. And they straight up call out there are many speculative narratives as to why. But this is truly a united decision. And we sincerely hope that everyone can respect our wishes for our for privacy for us and our children. So before I launch into this whole thing, I do want to just touch on their kind of relationship timeline. And I pulled this up from Pop Sugar. They have the whole thing um, up until September 10th of this year. So in 2016, Joe Jonas DM'd Sophie Turner on Instagram. Um, apparently they had a lot of mutual friends and several people were kind of directing Sophie toward Joe, kind of trying to get them together and then I guess the same was happening for Joe so Joe reached out to her on Instagram and they've basically been together ever since October 2016 is when they actually met in real life for the first time um he was touring with the Jonas Brothers in the UK and invited her to meet up for drinks um she says he didn't bring security he brought a friend um and they drank just as hard as the rest of us and I guess they danced together and talked and uh they just really hit it off um December of 2016 is when it's confirmed by People magazine that they're exclusively dating via an anonymous source this quote says they're dating exclusively he was playing the field but he really likes her and is willing to settle down for her 
in January of 2017. That's the first time that they post together on a vacation in Miami. Or actually, I kind of think they live there. So I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Then in October of 2017 is when they get engaged. They kind of stayed out of the spotlight for a lot of 2017, but they announced their engagement in two of the same Instagram posts on each of their accounts. And then in a 2018 interview with Marie Claire, Sophie said, quote, it's lovely to be engaged. Not like I achieved anything, but I found my person. Like I'd found a house I love and want to stay in forever. There's a sense of peace that comes with finding your person, but there's a drive that comes with your career. And I love that statement. Then in October of 2018 is when they first hit the red carpet together for Paris Fashion Week at the Louis Vuitton show. And then in March 2019, all of the Jonas Brothers wives appear in the Sucker music video. In 2019, in May of 2019, they got married in Vegas by an Elvis impersonator um, in an impromptu ceremony. And then, of course, Diplo (laughs) live streams the event and kind of like spilled the beans. And I guess the Joe was like not happy with him about that. Um, But they had to get married in the state so that they would be able to um, celebrate in what I think was an Italian or a French wedding. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, So Joe told GQ, quote, we had to legally get married in the States, so we thought it'd be really fun to get all of our friends together, invite them out, and do an impromptu wedding. And we actually had some people there that I didn't really know all that well. <laughs> um, and then, yes, it was France, not Italy. Um, they had a formal wedding ceremony a month later in June 2019. And Maisie Williams, who plays Arya in Game of Thrones, served as the maid of honor. And Nick and Kevin Jonas were groomsmen. So then in July, this was, okay, so basically a year and two months later, in July 2020, they have their first child named Willa, whose face we've never seen. Then a little less than two years later, they subtly announce that they're pregnant again. Sophie's kind of like seen out in public with Joe, like with a bump. And people were hesitating to speculate as, you know, it's 2023. We don't like to speculate on people being pregnant just at by like paparazzi pictures. But um, she's really small, so you can definitely tell. <laughs> um, but on in May 2022, she posts a picture of a pregnant belly and says, full of baby. So it was just about two years removed from her first birth. Then they were, then they gave birth to a baby girl in July of 2022. Um, and we don't know that little girl's name. Um, she's listed in the divorce documents as just D. Then, of course, September is when they called it quits and um, shared a joint statement on Instagram and now we're back to where we were. So I found this whole saga to be very confusing, to be honest. Um, I thought it was weird that news leaked about Joe hiring a divorce attorney before the filing happened. Typically, that's not exactly how it works, but it is exactly what happened with um, Britney Spears and Sam Asghari. We learned about a day before Sam filed that he was planning to, and that's exactly what happened here. So, and that was the same source. That was also TMZ. So I'm not sure if they like have some kind of like mole on the inside at one of these like divorce attorneys offices or like what it is, but somehow they're able to break that news about one day before. 
I'm not sure that this is something that would come from a publicist. Obviously, I work in more of like a brand capacity, but I have done talent PR before. Um, It's not exactly like the purpose of celebrities publicists to manage this sort of news which is kind of why celebrities have taken to the Instagram announcement or the Instagram apology or what have you is because um, people don't necessarily always speak through their publicists about these sorts of things anymore. Um, The purpose of a celebrity publicist is really to further the career of the celebrity, not just to keep them out of hot water or out of bad headlines, et cetera, et cetera. It's more about promoting the things that they are doing and also, yes, like providing advice on kind of some career chess moves or even personal life chess moves. But typically it's not on the publicist to like go to the press and be like, my client is about to divorce his wife. Um, And it's also very likely that all three of the Jonas Brothers share a publicist. Um, That's pretty typical as well. But something to note is that there was a news article. I can't remember the outlet right now. um, But there was a news article that I saw a couple weeks ago talking about how Beyonce and Taylor Swift's publicists are so good and so famous that they have like their own fans. <laughs> and I think that that's a really interesting I think that that's a really interesting way to look at this because if you think about Beyonce and Taylor Swift, they're two of like our most private celebrities. So for their publicists to be like really highly acclaimed, like think about what their headlines look like. Think about like the things that you read about Beyonce or Taylor Swift in the news. You really aren't reading a lot about their personal life. So, you know, the most powerful, the most um, talented, the most successful publicists look at what they're doing, look at their work and what they're doing is not going to news outlets and talking about like messy divorces, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of like realistically up to, um, you know, the, the public figure. And if you look outside of like music or Hollywood in general and still look at like famous, powerful people, a lot of them do dumb shit that has nothing to do with publicity or any kind of PR professional. Um, the first person that comes to mind is Elon Musk. He clearly like doesn't ever consult <laughs> any kind of publicity manager or media relations person. Um, some others, um, I'm from Dallas, so I think of like Jerry Jones, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, obviously, like the Dallas Cowboys has a publicist and X probably has a media relations person, but they don't represent Elon Musk as a person and like help him to decide like what goes into his biography and what doesn't or like how to name his children (laughs) obviously so that's just like a point of clarification I wanted to make because I see a lot of people kind of like blaming some kind of like PR person for this you know bad press that Sophie was getting but I think it's easier for people to like blame some like invisible entity than it is to really take a look at our like national media machine and how we talk about women in the press and going back to like the taylor swift and beyonce of it there was a time where we knew more about their lives um when they did a lot more press a lot more interviews and they didn't like the way that they were being portrayed so they have really like tightened the reins and pulled back on the way that they speak with the media. So 
again, just doubling down on this idea that I don't believe that this is like a PR firm that is like planting stories about Sophie. What I do think is possible is that there are people either within Joe's inner circle or possibly my theory, honestly, is that it could really be his parents. As a reminder, the Jonas Brothers' dad, Kevin Sr., is a pastor. So they're a very religious family. Nick started out singing gospel songs um, that, like, their faith has always been, like, really central to them. Like, think purity rings. (laughs) So it is my personal belief that is founded upon nothing other than circumstantial evidence that the parents could possibly be behind these leaking stories. But there are a lot of like conflicting elements in this whole saga, and I really struggle to wrap my brain around it. Number one, it's really interesting to me to choose to file for a divorce while you're on tour. <laughs> like you're already living separately, so what's the rush there? Also, of course, I already mentioned that I think it's strange that we found out that he was about to file before he filed. Um, to me, the joint statement and um, Joe addressing the crowd and kind of reiterating the same thing that they said in their Instagram statement, um, essentially that like rumors are rumors and not to believe them. Um, all of that makes me feel like it is not coming from him. However, when I saw those paparazzi pictures of him taking his girls to breakfast, that did give me pause, though I will say they didn't look staged. Staged paparazzi pictures are usually like full body. Everybody is like dressed to the nines. Think Hailey Bieber. Hailey Bieber's paparazzi photos are like Emrata's paparazzi photos are very very staged also like the kardashians but seeing those like kind of like super zoomed in photos of um joe wearing a hat carrying his kids like i can't say that i believe that it's staged but i do believe that he knew what he was doing by taking his daughters out in public the day after this news hit so this whole thing has so much nuance to it and i think that we just don't have enough information and maybe we won't because we don't always you know find these things out maybe it'll be a quick and dirty divorce kind of like tom and giselle's or it could drag out for forever like kim and kanye's we don't know but I do just want to reiterate that outlets like TMZ and Page Six don't necessarily publish based on fact. They are like not any more credible than Dumois. And not to say that Dumois is not credible. It's just that, you know, much like those outlets, she's not going to reveal her sources. And I think in all honesty, I would trust Dumois more because her she doesn't have the same like financial motivation as um TMZ or page six who really just want to go viral want to get clicks and want to like be able to show advertisers how many people click on their website per day so that they can charge more money and sell more ads it's still all very fishy and I'm not trying to defend Joe but I am trying to defend kind of my profession as a PR professional but also just like help to make my followers and listeners a little bit more media literate. (laughs) I'm sure there will be more updates to come on this story, but really all I have to say about it right now is that I'm really sad for those little girls. I'm sad for Sophie and for Joe who are all, you know, everybody's working. Um, I'm glad that Joe is, you know, around family and I'm glad that Sophie is 
you know, getting to act and like be in her home country and hopefully she's surrounded by friends and family there as well. In other news on September 7th, a Rolling Stone article published about the culture at The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon's late night show. 16 current and former staffers say that Jimmy's erratic behavior has just decimated the working culture within that particular night show and there's a lot of different allegations against him the main one being that he has a really bad relationship with alcohol and tends to even go on camera fully drunk the sources made up of two current and 14 former employees all who chose to remain anonymous for fear of backlash um they spoke about a toxic workplace that exceeded the normal high pressure you know demand of the late night tv world they said quote the ugly environment behind the scenes starts at the top with fallon's erratic behavior and has trickled down to its ever-changing leadership teams nine showrunners in the past nine years who seemingly don't know how to say no to jimmy um they've many of them have talked about having suicidal ideations at the show um the staffers say it was common to hear people joke about wanting to kill themselves and they would refer to the guest dressing rooms in the office as crying rooms because that's where they would go to cry when they were mistreated in a statement a spokesperson for nbc defended the tonight show but not Jimmy himself. They said, quote, we are incredibly proud of The Tonight Show and providing a respectful working environment is a top priority. As in any workplace, we have had employees raise issues. Those have been investigated and action has been taken where appropriate. As is always the case, we encourage employees who feel they have been they have experienced or observed behavior inconsistent with our policies to report their concerns so that we may address them accordingly. Which is interesting because I, throughout this article, many different staffers mention that they did approach HR and were either fired or somehow reprimanded. After the Rolling Stone article came out, Fallon apologized to his staffs on an all-hands Zoom call and said, quote, it's embarrassing and I feel so bad. Sorry if I embarrassed you and your family and your friends. I feel so bad I can't even tell you. One employee said they lost about 20 pounds during their time working under this one showrunner and felt like they were on edge all the time and cried themselves to sleep every night. They said, quote, I know other people who are in my department who are also unhappy with the mistreatment, but it was never a thing where any of us were empowered enough to say anything. It was just always like, you should be grateful that you have a job and you should be grateful that you have this position at the show and at this network. Everyone wants to be in this spot. You've worked so hard to get here. It shouldn't be a thing where you're being ungrateful. One former employee said it was like, if Jimmy's in a bad mood, everybody's day is fucked. People wouldn't joke around in the office. They wouldn't stand around and talk to each other. It was very much like focus on whatever it is that you have to do because Jimmy's in a bad mood and if he sees that he might fly off um several employees say that he berated them in front of other colleagues and crew members he would write nasty notes on um like writer's notes saying things like are you okay seriously do you need help or like "Ugh, lame what is going on with you you've outdone yourself and Rolling Stone did review some of these notes. Um, They didn't publish them within the article, but the writer makes 
an effort to say that like their fact checkers did review these documents, which means that they do in fact exist. So then there's this weird thing with Jerry Seinfeld. Um, Two employees say that they witnessed Fallon scold a crew member who was in charge of his cue cards in the middle of a taping with Jerry Seinfeld. They said it was super uncomfortable and that Seinfeld even told Jimmy to apologize to the cue card production member and then he allegedly did. And the employees both say that this incident was super awkward but didn't make it to the version of the show that aired. Um, They said, quote, it was very awkward and Jerry was like, you should apologize to him, almost trying to make it a joke. And it was one of the strangest moments ever. And so many people were there. It's hard to forget. Then reps for Seinfeld did not respond to multiple requests for a comment. But following the publication of the story, Seinfeld sent a statement to Rolling Stone saying, quote, this is so stupid. I remember this moment quite well. I teased Jimmy about a flub and we all had a fun laugh about how rarely Jimmy is thrown off. It was not uncomfortable at all. Jimmy and I still occasionally recall it and laugh. Idiotic twisting of events. A black employee said that one of the showrunners kept asking them, what is going on with your hair? And also made a lot of comments about food people would eat, saying, we're just eating a lot today and not caring about what we look like. Five different employees say that they spoke to HR about these experiences and in their exit interviews when they voluntarily left the show, as well as during their time of employment. And one longtime employee says they never reported their issues to HR because early on in their tenure, they saw colleagues of theirs attempt to speak to HR and subsequently get fired. They don't protect us, they said. They don't do anything for us. People on social media were actually very quick to come out of the woodwork saying that Jimmy Fallon's drinking has been an open secret for years. So in October 2015, the New York Post published a story that quoted sources who alleged that NBC was worried about his drinking because it's been become a quote excessive after he fell and dropped a bottle of Jaeger while receiving an award. This was his third injury in a matter of months after he nearly severed his finger just a few months earlier in June. He spent 10 days in the ICU after his wedding ring got caught on the countertop when he tripped over a rug and it required a six hour surgery to fix his hand. Then two months later, he chipped his front tooth while trying to open a jar of scar tissue repair gel for his fingers. Um, and then he later refuted that there were any issues, um, telling the New York Times in 2007, I can never do a day-to-day job if I was drinking every night. That's just kicking you while you're down. But a source close to The Tonight Show said that there have been a lot of issues in the past, um, but that changes have been made. They told the Daily Mail, of all sources, the things being reported in this article happened years ago and just aren't reflective of the atmosphere today. Nobody's denying that things happened in the past but any previous issues have been dealt with and everyone has moved on since then a lot of these are old anecdotes that have been already reported and it's unclear to everyone while why they're being brought up again years later so many current staffers have positive things to say about the show that they are being given a chance this isn't who jimmy is in any way or what the show is like today but again i want to go back to the statement given by nbc that said we're incredibly proud of the tonight show and providing a respectful working environment is a top priority they literally never mentioned jimmy in this statement when this entire article is about jimmy's behavior and not just the hr of it all but the fact that jimmy as the head of the show is perpetrating these this kind of like 
super toxic culture. This has kind of been met with mixed reactions on social media. You have some people being like, yeah, every job sucks. All bosses suck, whatever. But I personally have had bosses that like comment on my hair or on my weight. And it is a really hard place to like try to like come to and work and be a professional and whatever when people are making comments like that about you. Um, And of course, like having a boss that's drinking heavily is actually something that's probably very scary when that boss is literally on live television every night. So I definitely don't want to diminish these claims, but it's interesting how like close in proximity or like timing that this expose came out in light of the Lizzo allegations very, very recently, but it all also feels very reminiscent of Ellen. So I don't know, like, I don't even really know what to say about this. I don't know how... Um, the Tonight Show moves forward. I'm interested to see once the writer's strike is over if Jimmy addresses this or if he kind of just moves forward. I also wonder about the timing of this article with like the writer's strikes and everything. Um, why, similarly to what the Daily Mail article was saying, why now? Um, because it does appear that the drinking has been going on for something like eight years at least. Um, So yeah, that's my question. Why now? And more devastating news about our favorite celebrities came out um, (laughs) as Danny Masterson was convicted of forcible rape of two women. Um, He was actually charged with three, um, but he was convicted of two and sentenced to 30 years. Now, this is like very, this is a very strange story. Number one, something to note is that Danny Masterson, who played Hyde on that 70s show, he is a Scientologist. So is Laura Prepon. Um, Both of them are like staunch Scientologists, and that definitely plays in here. So here is like kind of the skinny on the trial. Danny was accused of raping three women at his home between the years of 2001 and 2003, during the time that he was on that 70s show. And the jury convicted him of raping two women in 2003, but couldn't reach a verdict on the 2001 involving a former girlfriend, even though the jurors voted in favor of conviction. At the sentencing, the three women involved in the case told the judge that his crimes had ruined their lives, asked the judge to give him life behind bars. Jane Doe, number one, called the actor, quote, a true coward and a heartless monster. Jane Doe, number two, said to him across the courtroom, I still have to contend with what you did to me that night. That takes a life's worth of therapy to repair. And every time I think I'm okay, that rape comes back to me. And Jane Doe, number three, told the judge that she had been diagnosed with PTSD and he did not speak at his sentencing. Many of his family members who were also in Hollywood, hence the Scientology, um, showed up to support him. His wife is an actress and model named Bijou Phillips and she was crying in the courtroom. Um, his His siblings, Alana Masterson from The Walking Dead and Christopher Masterson from Malcolm in the Middle and some guy named Jordan Masterson, another brother, I guess, were all seated in the courtroom together. Um, And the judge said to him, quote, Mr. Masterson, you are not the victim here. Your actions 20 years ago took away another person's voice and choice. Your actions 20 years ago were criminal, and that's why you were here. Um, This is the second 
of his trials. The first trial ended in November of last year with a hung jury, but the judge opted to retry the case in front of a new set of jurors. And the major difference between the two trials um, has to do with the allegation of drugging. In the first trial, the women testified that they felt weak or woozy and had little memory after taking a drink prepared by Masterson a la Bill Cosby. But the prosecution didn't outright say that he had been drugged. But in the retrial, the prosecutors argued that Masterson had, in fact, drugged them. And both trials heavily focused on the Church of Scientology. So back to where I began. Um, At the sentencing, Leah Remini was seated in the front row to support the women. And after he was sentenced, she released a statement saying, sitting in court today with the women who survived dating Masterson's predation is a surreal experience. I'm relieved that this dangerous rapist will be off the streets and unable to violently assault and rape women with the help of Scientology, a multi-billion dollar criminal organization with tax exempt status. The deputy district attorney who acted as the prosecutor Um, Her name is Arielle Anson. She spoke about Scientology very candidly, saying, The church taught his victims, rape isn't rape, you caused this, and above all, you are never allowed to go to law enforcement. In Scientology, the defendant is a celebrity and he is untouchable. She emphasized that the church authorities kept the women from accepting what had happened to them and from reporting it to police for years. Oh yeah, that's an important part of this. The victims are former Scientologists as well. During the witness testimony of one of the Jane Doe's, Jane Doe 3, who was in a relationship with Danny between 1996 and 2002, um, the deputy DA other deputy DA Mueller asked how she was feeling and she said not great and when the DDA asked what might be causing her concern about testifying she said I'm scared of a lot of people in this room and Scientology then the Church of Scientology released a statement saying the church has no policy prohibiting or discouraging members from reporting criminal conduct of anyone Scientologists or not to law enforcement quite the opposite church policy explicitly demands Scientologists abide by all laws of the land all allegations to the contrary are totally false in all caps read the statement which was unsigned and posted on the church church website trial witnesses pointed to language in Scientology's introduction to ethics book that says that it's a high crime to report or threaten to report Scientology or Scientologists to civil authorities in an effort to suppress Scientology or Scientologists from practicing or receiving standard Scientology. Former Scientologists said in court that it was drilled into them. They could never go to police about other Scientologists, but instead should report any crimes to Scientology's own internal justice structure. Jane Doe number three said that she had been attacked by Danny in December of 2001 and decided to turn him in, turn him into an ethics officer at Scientology's Hollywood Celebrity Center. And she was told not to use the word rape because, quote, she told me you cannot rape someone you're in a relationship with. Then um, she was put on a two month ethics handling rigmarole, which included looking up various Scientology ethics. And these policies instructed her that if she violated the rules and spoke out, she would be subject to excommunication from the church, known as being declared a suppressive person inside Scientology jargon, um, and then would be subject to, quote, fair 
game, which is the Scientology's brand of retaliation with the use of private investigators and other operators. So if you don't know much about Scientology, I highly recommend um, Leah Remini's content in general. She, I think she has a podcast. She has a show that I watch sometimes. It's on Hulu. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with cults in general. And yes, I'm calling Scientology a cult. Duh. Um, and it, all of these like terms are used a lot and, um, it's really kind of insane the way that they, much like any, any other traditional church, um, make a real effort to suppress victims of any kind of violence by church members. Now to the part that's truly like just gross um many of the cast members from that 70s show wrote character witness letters for danny for his sentencing including mila kunis and ashton kutcher and that has sparked a lot of controversy as you can imagine so i'm gonna read these statements and i'm gonna start with ashton he says, my name is Ashton Kutcher. I'm an actor, investor, philanthropist, and mo most importantly, a father. I met Danny Masterson when I was 20 years old in 1998. He instantly became a friend, dedicated coworker, and role model to me, and has remained such for 25 years. As a friend, Danny has been nothing but a positive influence on me. He's an extraordinarily honest and intentional human being. Over 25-year relationship, I don't ever recall him lying to me. He's taught me about being direct and confronting issues in life and relationships head on, resolving them and moving forward. Danny is a person that is consistently there for you when you need him. We've traveled around the world together, raised our daughters together, and shared countless family moments. Not only is he a good friend to me, I've witnessed him be a good friend to others and the kind of brother others would lucky, be lucky to have. As a role model, Danny has consistently been an excellent one. I attribute not falling into the typical Hollywood life of drugs directly to Danny. Anytime we were to meet with someone or interact with someone who was on drugs or did drugs, he made it clear that wouldn't be a good person to be friends with. I'm going to pause here and just say that's Scientology, not being a good person. He says, and for me, that was an implication that if I were to do drugs, he wouldn't want to be friends with me, which is something I would never want to risk or jeopardize. I am grateful to him for that positive peer pressure. He also set an extraordinarily high standard about how you treat other people. There was an incident where we were at a pizza parlor and a belligerent man entered who was berating his girlfriend. We had never met or seen these people before, but Danny was the first person to jump to the defense of this girl. It was an incident he didn't have to get involved in, but proactively chose to because of the way this man was behaving was not right. He has always tr treated people with decency, equality, and generosity. After 9-11... It's 9-11 as I'm recording this. Um, <laughs> Danny was a huge advocate for support of the firefighters affected by the event he spelled affected wrong um rallying his friends and coworkers to pitch in however they could danny had his daughter a year before i had mine he set a standard of being a hands-on dad we have spent countless hours together with our kids and he is among one of the few people i would trust to be alone with my son and daughter oh my god he also god i just have to pause there so this is the first time he even mentions having a son. He's been like, we have daughters, we have daughters, we have daughters. And then finally he mentions that he has a son and says that Danny is one of few people he'd leave alone with them. Gross. He also is a dedicated and loyal husband with unwavering commitment to his wife. Um, obviously not. Well, depends on how long they've been together. Whatever. We have spent hundreds of hours working together. Danny takes his job seriously because he's a Scientologist. Um, he is kind, courteous, and hardworking. Treated everyone with the grips, from the grips to the teamsters, to the actors, the caterers as equals. He showed up on time and always pulled his weight. Blah, blah, blah. Um, while I'm aware the judgment has been cast as guilty on two counts of rape by force and the victims have a great desire for justice. Okay, 
that's a fragmented sentence. This man can't write. Um, I hope that my testament to his character is taken into consideration in sentencing. I do not believe he is an ongoing harm to society and having his daughter raised without a father present would be a tertiary injustice in and of, in and of itself. Thank you for taking the time to read this. Thank you. Okay. Now here's Mila's. She says to the honorable judge Almedo, I'm writing this character letter on behalf of my dear friend, Danny Masterson, with whom I've had the privilege of sharing a significant part of my life. My name is Mila Kunis and I'm an actress and I believe it is essential to share the remarkable influence Danny has had on my life and the lives of others. I first met Danny during our time working together on that 70s show, and from the very beginning, I could sense his innate goodness and genuine nature. Throughout our time together, Danny has proven to be an amazing friend, confidant, and above all, an outstanding older brother figure to me. His caring nature and ability to offer guidance have been instrumental in my growth, both personally and professionally. One of the most remarkable aspects of Danny's character is his unwavering commitment to discouraging the use of drugs. What is this? I guess because, like, he's being accused of drugging women they're like no he couldn't have because he doesn't do drugs but just because you don't do drugs doesn't mean that you don't use drugs against women when they don't want to have sex with you um his influence on me in this regard has been invaluable in an industry where the pressures and temptations of substance abuse can be overwhelming danny played a pivotal role in guiding me away from such destructive paths his dedication to avoiding all substances has not only inspired me but also countless others in our circle danny's steadfastness in promoting a drug-free lifestyle has been a guiding light in my journey through the entertainment world and has helped me prioritize my well-being and focus on making making responsible choices his genuine concern for those around him and his commitment to leading by example make him an outstanding role model and friend so both of them keep calling him a role model basically only because he discouraged them from becoming crackheads so it doesn't take much for them um, she goes on to say that he displayed a profound sense of responsibility and care for those around him. Danny's warmth, humor, and a positive outlook on life has been a driving force in shaping my character and the way I approach life's challenges. Mila is much more um, well-written than her husband. I'm just going to say that. Um, she didn't proofread his, clearly. Um blah 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 she says in conclusion i wholeheartedly vouch for danny masterson's exceptional character and the tremendous positive influence he has had on me and the people around him his dedication to leading a drug-free life and the genuine care he extends to others makes him an outstanding role model and friend okay so that was a lot and a mouthful so i probably should take a sip of water but i'm gonna keep going um i just like can't really like wrap my brain around what would cause somebody to do this i have a lot of wonderful male friends a lot of great people in my life hopefully some of you are listening to this but if any of you ever got convicted of rape do not ask me for a character letter okay i will shit in an envelope and mail it to you in jail that will be my character witness letter like wholeheartedly fuck off i have three brothers and I've been thinking about this like since this came out and I really think like the only one of them <laughs> that I'd write a character witness letter for is my younger brother and that's partially just because I feel like I helped raise him and so I would probably feel like personally like responsible maybe um so there might be like some guilt tied in there but like there is really no other man that I would write a character witness letter from. And so it's one thing from Ashton, but from Mila that just like really, really blows my mind. Also something to know is that Mila Kunis 
lied about her age to get on that 70s show. So she was 15 filming with these people who were 18 and older. Um, So she was a really, really young person on this cast and maybe not, you know, the most clued in and maybe doesn't like actually know this person that she thinks she knows so well. Christina Ricci entered the chat by posting on her stories saying, quote, so sometimes people we have loved and admired do horrible things. They might not do these things to us and we only know who they were to us, but that doesn't mean they didn't do the horrible things and to discredit the abused is a crime. People we know as awesome guys can be predators and abusers. It's tough to accept, but we have to. If we say we support victims, women, children, men, boys, then we must be able to take this stance. Unfortunately, I've known a lot of awesome guys who were lovely to me who have been proven to be abusers privately believe victims. Finally, this kind of prompted a response from Mila and Ashton in a joint video that they put out on Instagram. They say, which, okay, first I just want to say, before I even get into what they say, I want to talk about how they say it. Um, Ashton really shows how much of a better actor (laughs) he is than Mila in this because they clearly have a written statement. They have a script that they're reading off of. And the way that you can tell is kind of the way they're like volleying back and forth on like who says what. And Mila, I think, doesn't sell it as well. I think she's kind of like the reason you can really tell that it's rehearsed and scripted. But mainly the fact that they kind of like have lines like it's not just like they're like interjecting each other and like being like oh and also to add on this whatever like Ashton will say something then pause and then Mila immediately starts talking and it's like they're like passing it back and forth it's really insane to watch and there is more to this story but in the interest of time I'm gonna leave it there and I'm gonna come back with a later update as this story unfolds finally I want to talk about the VMAs which is dominated by women, which is amazing. Taylor Swift has led all the nominees this year with eight, while SZA has six, Doja Cat has five, and then Kim Petras, Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj, Olivia Rodrigo, and Sam Smith also, I think, have five. Um, All of these people will be competing also in the video of the year category, um, which includes Doja Cat's Attention, Flowers by Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj's Super Freaky Girl, Olivia Rodrigo's Vampire, and then Unholy by Sam Smith and Kim Petras, and then SZA's Kill Bill, and of course, Taylor Swift's Antihero. And a lot of those tracks are also up in other categories, including Song of the Year, um, Steve Lacey's Bad Habit, and Selena Gomez and Rima's Calm Down is on there as well. Um, and then we've got Shakira, Beyonce, Carol G, Taylor Swift, Doja Cat, and Nicki Minaj nominated for Artist of the Year, which is insane. So many women, but also like so many incredible artists. I don't know how to like choose between those. Um, there are also going to be some really sick performances, including, um, Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion performing their new single Bongos. Um, super excited for that. And then I suspect that we're going to get a secret performance by Taylor Swift based on this blind item I read in Dumois the other day. Give me a second. Okay, so this blind, this 
Subject is Blondie on the Move. The email is lookwhatyoumademedo at gmail.com. And the message says, break out your dancing shoes because everyone's favorite cat-loving pop star will be making a public appearance soon. So maybe that just means she'll be at the VMAs. She was last year, and that's where she announced Midnight's. I also think it's possible that we could get another album announcement um, at the VMAs, mainly because um, I read that she also had an album listening party recently um, at Electric Lady where Rose from Blackpink, Haley Williams, Sabrina Carpenter, Cara Delevingne, Gracie Abrams, Sadie Sink, Jack Antonoff, and Margaret Qualley all attended an album listening party at Electric Lady. So I feel like it's possible that we could get another album announcement um, or potentially like yet another re-record announcement, but I don't think we're gonna hear about another re-record until 1989 Taylor's version comes out. But tune into Easter Egg Hunt every first Wednesday of the month for all of your Taylor Swift news. I'm gonna be deep diving into that some more. And um, yeah, I think that I actually mentioned my theory about when we get reputation on the last episode. So go listen to that now. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to this supersized episode. I know that we talked about a lot and I didn't even get to any, everything that I wanted to. So make sure you tune in next week for a VMAs breakdown and maybe some updates on these stories. Love you so much. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>